Welcome to Rebuilding Rob, the podcast, the show that's dedicated to the relentless pursuit of building a more perfect man. I am your host, your favorite blogger turned podcaster. My name is Rob, and in this week's episode, I'm going to discuss my definition of patriotism. Also, I'm going to take a look at the curious case of Nikki Haley. Stay tuned. It should be a corker. Okay, so last week we got a prompt from the old WordPress machine asking us to define patriotism. And I think I originally had a different topic that I was going to discuss for this week's episode, but I decided to bump this patriotism discussion up the charts a little bit, so to speak. As of this recording, I'm recording this tonight on Tuesday, February 27th, 2024. Today was the primary election here in my home state of Michigan. So I figured this was kind of timely to talk about these topics that we're going to get into today. Now, we've been hearing a lot in the media about how it seems like every election cycle we keep hearing the stakes have never been higher. The stakes have never been higher. Now we're starting to hear, you know, our democracy is at stake. Here's the problem. I believe that. I believe with each continuing presidential election that I have voted in, I feel like the stakes have gotten higher. And as an American citizen, I feel like it is not only my duty and my freedom, but my obligation to vote, to speak my mind when it comes to the elections. I know there's a lot of people out there who are disillusioned. You know, there's not really a lot to choose from. I mean, right now, we really have a two-party system. We have two candidates out there. And quite frankly, they are the oldest, whitest guys imaginable. Not only that, but they are also the two oldest presidential candidates we've ever had. The previous record holders were themselves from four years ago. So essentially, these two guys just extended their record by four years. Okay, so I am getting a little bit off track with talking about the election. I will get to that in a little bit. Now, one of the things I've noticed in my experience blogging is that there are a lot of my fellow bloggers out there who don't really like to either discuss politics or discuss their political views very much. Because, let's face it, it does start arguments. Um, I know in my own experience with social media and just dealing with my family and dealing with friends, acquaintances, and total strangers that politics has started arguments. My problem is, is I can't keep my mouth shut. I can't listen and I can't just stand idly by when people sit there and trash the politicians or the political ideology that I believe in. So I usually do get into arguments. I have family members and friends on social media who I have blocked, unfollowed, unfriended, whatever the case may be, just because we don't agree on politics. And it has gotten to a point in our society where politics has really intertwined with our own personal ideology. Maybe that's not right. Maybe it is, but as people like to say, it is what it is. Now, me personally, I've never formally declared myself as a member of either political party. 
Having said that, I have never voted for a Republican, nor have I ever voted for a third-party candidate. My entire voting history, I've always voted for Democrats. And with that, I'm happy to say that I've had a pretty good track record, particularly in our presidential elections. In fact, there was only one election where that I voted in where my candidate did not win both the popular vote and the electoral vote, that being 2004, when George W. Bush was re-elected president winning both the popular vote and the electoral vote. I did vote for Al Gore in 2000, and while he won the popular vote, he did not win the electoral vote. Likewise with Hillary Clinton in 2016. She won the popular vote significantly, I may add, but she did not win the electoral vote. You can call me a bleeding heart, call me a snowflake, call me whatever you want to, but I believe in things like social justice. I believe in equality for all people. I believe in equal rights and equal opportunity under the law. Now, I know there's probably a lot of people out there who affiliate themselves with Republicans are gonna sit there and say that Oh, you're a tax-and-spend liberal, Rob. Yeah, you know what? I am. But here's the secret. Democrats don't like paying taxes either. We really don't. The difference is, and I'll only speak for myself here, but I understand that taxes are a necessary evil. I hate taxes, but I like having things like a police department, a fire department, a 911 response system, first responders like ambulance drivers, paved roads, public libraries, and I don't know, public schools. Those are all things that come from our taxpaying dollars. As I said, no one likes to pay it, but we need to have it. Furthermore, I believe in a woman's right to choose if she wants to carry out a pregnancy. I don't care if she's a teenage girl who made some stupid decision as a kid. I don't care if it's because her idiot boyfriend doesn't know how to put on a condom. I don't care if it's because she's a victim of rape or incest. I don't care if either the life or livelihood of either her or the unborn baby are at stake. Women should have the right to choose if they want to carry out a pregnancy. And just as a reminder for some of you uber conservatives out there who want to see a nationwide ban on abortion, The Handmaid's Tale was never intended to be a documentary. It was not meant to be an instructional novel. It is a cautionary tale. Furthermore, like taxes, I happen to feel that the Black Lives Matter movement and affirmative action are necessary evils in our society. I don't like the idea that we need to have these things in place, but more than that, I don't like the idea that conditions are so bad in this country that such political movements are necessary in the first place. Also, I believe that America is a nation of immigrants. I believe the immigration process needs to be more expeditious, easier, faster for people attempting to enter this country legally. Also, I believe in common sense gun laws. I respect the Second Amendment. However, I don't look at the Second Amendment as a green light to carry personal assault rifles. I believe in the idea of common sense gun laws. Furthermore, I believe that health care 
is a universal right, not a privilege, and it should be provided for for every man, woman, and child in this country. The United States is the only industrialized country in the world that does not provide universal health care for its citizens. That is a problem. I know, there I went again. I went on my little rant. I didn't mean to get that carried away with it. But I do want to get back to the topic at hand here, which is patriotism. I believe that patriotism is loving your country and loving your country enough to know when things need to be changed. And as I mentioned earlier, not only do I feel like voting and speaking out and questioning our leaders is a right and a freedom and a privilege in this country, but it is also our obligation as citizens of this country to question our government. I don't believe that patriotism is literally wrapping yourself inside of an American flag, singing some country music song, or belittling others, or attacking your own government, attempting to eradicate free speech, allying yourself with some of our nation's greatest political rivals like China, Russia, or North Korea. And yeah, I'm pretty sure you can tell who I'm talking about here. But having said all this, I am truly scared for the 2024 presidential election. Even though I will not vote for Donald Trump and I have already decided to vote for Joe Biden, it doesn't mean that I'm completely on board with that decision. He is the oldest president we've ever had. But before him, Donald Trump was the oldest president we've ever had. Before either of those guys, Ronald Reagan was the oldest president we've ever had. For whatever reason, politicians in our country continue to get older while the citizens of our country, the voting age demographics continue to get younger. Four years ago, the Democratic Party put up a very impressive field of 16 potential presidential candidates that were men and women from all walks of life, all races, all creeds, all ethnicities, even sexual orientations. And who did the Democrats nominate? They went with the oldest, whitest, albeit the most experienced guy in the room. But herein lies the problem that Democrats are facing with Joe Biden. He is really the only guy in this country, I think, who is capable of defeating Donald Trump in a general election. And for as much as the 2024 presidential election scares me, the possibility of Donald Trump not not facing any present time from the numerous indictments that are currently against him scares me almost as much. We talk a lot in this country about equal protection under the law and this idea that no one is above the law. I think we're going to get a very serious test of that over the next few months. People are even asking if a sitting president or even a former president can be convicted of a crime. Also, I... Now, as much as I've gone off on my American political tirade, I think it's important to remember that patriotism and the very concept of patriotism is not an inherently American idea. Anybody from any country can love their home country that they are from and be proud of it. One of the things I noticed when this prompt came up on WordPress a couple of weeks back was that there were people from other countries who were expressing their own patriotism about whichever country they are from or currently living in.
Now, on that, a couple of weeks ago, I was on TikTok and I came across a video from a spoken word performance that Henry Rollins was giving. Uh, for those of you who don't know who Rollins is, he was the lead singer of a punk band called Black Flag. He also fronted a band of his own called the Rollins Band. He has written numerous books about poetry. He has toured the world, not just playing music, but also giving spoken word performances. So I caught this video of him on TikTok where he was talking about, of all things, the preamble to the Constitution of South Africa. And Rollins had described it as just being this incredibly eloquent language, and he loved what it said and what it stood for. I'm going to read that preamble for you right now, because after hearing it and after actually reading the words myself, I have to agree. This is how it starts. We, the people of South Africa, recognize the injustices of our past, honor those who have suffered for justice and freedom in our land, respect those who have worked to build and develop our country, and believe that South Africa belongs to all who live in it, united in our diversity. We, therefore, through our freely elected representatives, adopt this Constitution as the supreme law of the Republic, so as to heal the divisions of the past and establish a society based on democratic values, social justice, and fundamental human rights, lay the foundations for a democratic and open society in which government is based on the will of the people and every free citizen is equally protected by the law, improve the quality of life for all citizens and free the potential of each person and build a united and democratic South Africa able to take its rightful place as a sovereign state in the family of nations. May God protect our people. Then the preamble ends in the actual document with the expression, God bless South Africa. It is listed there in English and it is also listed in five other languages. Now, although South Africa's constitution recognizes 12 official languages for the country, And hearing that preamble that I just read, I want you to keep a few things in mind about South Africa. This is a country that had codified institutional racism as part of its government as recently as 35 years ago. Okay. At the same time, here in America, people are bitching about the fact that signs at Lowe's are written in both English and in Spanish. South Africa's constitution was ratified in 1996, meaning that there are still some pretty groundbreaking social, cultural, and political changes to take place in the span of just a few years. Let's remember that Nelson Mandela was only freed from a South African prison in 1990. Apartheid ended that same year. So for South Africa to go from ending apartheid to creating this new constitution that seems to recognize all of its indigenous cultures, its languages, its diversity, and quite frankly, is owning up to the mistakes of the past. I think that's a pretty big thing. South Africa gets it. They understand that they're not perfect. They understand that they have made mistakes and gross injustices even. 
in their past, but they are working toward becoming a truly free and just country for all of their citizens. And I really like the part at the end where they said that they are looking at South Africa and seeing itself as becoming a country that can stand head and shoulders with the other countries of the world as well. There really is a sense of humility and a sense of optimism and hope for the future in this constitution. Now, I know that we Americans, we like to sit here and we like to thump our chest about having the oldest continuously operating democracy in the world. And, you know, I don't want to sound all doom and gloomish, but I think that there needs to be a day of reckoning in this country over some of our fundamental flaws that we still have as a society, over things like institutional racism. Hell, we still have to come to some sort of reckoning about slavery and even women's rights for that matter. Statistics say that women are still paid up to 30% less than men who have the same qualifications and the same experience for the same position. This country is far from perfect, and quite frankly, I'm tired of people trying to act as though it is. And let's face it, as I had mentioned earlier in this podcast, we live in what is essentially a two-party system here in America. If you don't align yourself with one party, then it's pretty much assumed that you are automatically a part of the other. And I wish you guys could have seen me here because I was doing air quotes as I said, the other. And yeah, I know it is true. There are numerous other political parties in this country, like the Green Party and things like that. But the way that our system is currently set up, the only real viable chance someone has to get elected to the presidency in this country is to be either a Democrat or a Republican. And I could probably do an entire show about how polarizing both parties have become, how people on the left are distancing themselves more and more from the right and vice versa. It's kind of ironic considering that we like to talk so much about, oh, we have so much freedom, we have so much choice, we have so much opportunity in this country. But the truth is, you really have one choice or the other. And one of the parties in particular, the Republican Party, has been really good over the last 40 years or so at trying to co-opt certain core values that we have as a, as a society. Republicans like to say, oh, we're the party of family values. We are the party of morality. We are the party of religion. And when you live in a system that is this polarized with these two extremes, you're one or the other, Republicans like to just then assume that if we're the party of family values, then the Democrats must be immoral. If we're the religious party, then the Democrats must be the godless party. And obviously nothing could be further from the truth than that. You have religious people, you have pro-family people in both political parties. And as I said before, I am very worried about this 2024 presidential election. I'm worried about how people are going to respond, particularly on the right 
if Trump is not elected president once again. And with his legal problems that he has, quite honestly, I'm worried of what's going to happen if he does get elected to the presidency. Can we have an executive in chief who is ruling the country from a prison cell? Now, maybe I'm putting the cart before the horse, assuming that Trump is going to get convicted, but everything that most of the legal analysts have said is that he's basically toast once he goes to trial. So we'll have to see what happens with that. Well, you guys can't say that I didn't warn you that I would probably go on some political tirade, so there I went. But I am going to switch gears a little bit. It's not all going to be blue, 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 liberals, Democrats. I'm going to talk a little bit now about Nikki Haley, the former governor of South Carolina and the former U.N. ambassador under Donald Trump. Now, being a staunch liberal snowflake that I am, Nikki Haley fascinates me in the same way that a train wreck does. And while it's true she doesn't have quite that same deer-in-the-headlights look to her that Sarah Palin had back in 2008, Haley has had more than her share of head-scratching moments during this presidential campaign. There was a time that she said America, quote, has never been a racist country. And she had another similar flub where she was questioned about causes of the Civil War, and she failed to mention slavery being a cause of the Civil War, and that got a lot of reactions from people. There was a time not too long ago where moments like those would have been the end of somebody's political campaign. Of course, that was in the time before Donald Trump. And if you need any proof of that, just go Google Howard Dean, or better yet, Google the Howard Dean scream. If you don't remember what I'm talking about, if you were a little too young to remember that, check it out. <clears throat> it was one scream that literally ended Howard Dean's political career, as well as his presidential aspirations. Now, as for myself, I was living in South Carolina about 15 years ago when Nikki Haley first ran for governor. Again, she's a Republican, so, you know, being the blue guy that I am, I didn't really pay a whole lot of attention to her. But during the campaign leading up to her becoming the governor of South Carolina, there was a state senator named Jake Knotts who called her and President Obama, and I quote, ragheads due to their ethnicity or suspected ethnicity in the case of Barack Obama. And I can't lie, this certainly garnered some sympathy for Nikki Haley and me. I wasn't about to vote for her, though. Voting for her was out of the question. And quite frankly, even if I voted for the Democratic candidate, which I did, it was an exercise in futility, as South Carolina is pretty much the reddest of the red states. They are basically the OG of red states. And if you need any example of that, think back to the fact that they were the first state to secede from the Union before the Civil War started. And here's the thing, I'm not even 100% negative about Nikki Haley, okay? After all, it was Haley who, as governor, signed the bill that would remove the Confederate flag from the South Carolina Capitol building in Columbia back in 2015. Now, admittedly, that was largely a knee-jerk response to the uh, 
mass shootings that took place at a church in Charleston just a month prior. From a political standpoint, that bill was a political layup. It was a simple gesture. It isn't one that forced her to take some revolutionary or radical stand on the heels of a horrible catastrophe. It seemed like the right thing to do, and it was the right thing to do. And I think in the aftermath of that shooting, it didn't get much blowback. We didn't hear a lot about it. Now, while I'm going to sit here and say that that wasn't a real tough thing to do, I think what we need to keep in mind is there had been other governors of South Carolina previously who have had no problem with the Confederate flag flying on the top of the Capitol Dome as recently as 2015. It was really a sight to see living down there. But as Luke Skywalker might say, perhaps there is good in Nikki Haley. All right, so now that I've talked a little bit about Nikki Haley's earlier political experiences, I want to move into the part where Haley starts getting into the bigger stage. If you recall, or even if you don't for that matter, Nikki Haley was one of the multitude of Republican candidates who was attempting to land the party's nomination back in 2016, a nomination which was ultimately won and eventually the presidency won by Trump himself. So at this point, Haley's whole strategy for running for president, again, is kind of perplexing to me. You know, she served as Trump's ambassador to the United Nations from 2017 to 2019. And even when she was taking that position, I mean, clearly she made a run for the presidency. So it was obvious that she had bigger political aspirations. But I have to think she knows and understands at this point that running against Donald Trump in the Republican Party is pretty much like going up against a buzzsaw. She should have seen this back in 2016, and I'm sure she's seeing it again now. So I guess the real question is, why is Nikki Haley still in the race? As of now, she is still continuing her run for the presidency, despite the fact that she has not won a single Republican primary yet. And last week, she lost in the South Carolina Republican primary to Donald Trump himself. Now, you don't have to be some political pundit or some talking head to know that if you can't win the primary election in your state, or if you can't win your home state during the general election, that your campaign is toast. So again, why is Nikki Haley still running for president? And there really is only one logical answer to this question. She is trying to present herself as a sensible alternative for Republican voters, for the people who oppose Trump. I can only assume that her her rationale or her thought process is that she would appeal to the rhinos or the Republicans in name only, as they're referred to, uh, a group who's also known as the Never Trumpers. I think she's also looking to maybe 
appeal to some of the disenfranchised voters, maybe some of the people who might have voted for Joe Biden four years ago, but are no longer riding with Biden. And I'm sure she's trying to pick up the undecided vote. And most political analysts will tell you that pretty much every presidential election comes down to the undecided voters. It comes down to the people who haven't declared if they are a Democrat or if they are a Republican. They are the ones who make the difference. So with all that in mind, this could be a pretty good political strategy for Haley. But in my opinion, she's not doing enough to differentiate herself from Donald Trump. Sure, she'll come out and say that January 6th was a bad day. But let's face it, it doesn't take a radical leftist to say that. Uh, In my opinion, she needs to offer an actual alternative to Trump. She can't continue to be Trump light. I was watching a political commercial of hers earlier tonight, and she was saying the same stuff that Trump is saying, closing the borders, blah, blah, blah. I think she needs to be more brazen. I think she needs to be more aggressively going after Donald Trump. There was a thing where she had said in a speech a few weeks back that was in my old stomping grounds of Monk's Corner, South Carolina, where she called Congress the most privileged nursing home in the country. That's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. She could be a fresh Republican candidate. She can offer herself as that. She's choosing not to. So, again, why would you vote for her if you were going to vote Republican? She is Trump light. Now, my issue is there are a lot of lifelong Republican voters in this country. Hell, I know quite a few of them. Some of my closest friends were lifelong Republicans, but when it came time to vote for Donald Trump in 2016, they said they could not do it. They couldn't bring themselves to it. And these are good people. These are good people who just happen to have different ideas on how to fix Washington and how to how to run America. All right. The fact that they can't bring themselves to vote for Donald Trump. I mean, in a lot of ways, they have to feel like their political party has abandoned them. And I really do feel for some of those some of those never Trumpers or some of those, quote, Republicans in name only, the rhinos that I mentioned earlier. It has to seem like the party left them. You know, it's as if the management of the GOP suddenly decided one day to basically just hand the keys of Arkham Asylum over to the Joker. Not the best strategy if you can pick up on the Batman analogy that I'm laying down here. But at this point, we all know how this political campaign is going to play itself out, at least for the Republican Party. Trump will get his party's nomination again, and he and Biden will run against each other again, and they will tack another four years on to their already high record of being the oldest candidates to ever run for the presidency. I think the big thing at this point, and this might be why Nikki Haley is sticking around as long as she is, is Trump's legal problems. They could be the wild card in this year's elections. If he goes to trial and if he gets convicted before the election, this would really put our country into some uncharted political territory. I believe that Haley is sticking around long enough to hopefully see some of that come to pass or come to fruition if Trump were to go to trial and get convicted and actually get sentenced to some jail time. I think Haley might be trying to stick around just so that she could 
fill in that vacuum that would be in the GOP for a candidate. Anyway, if I was her, at least that's the way that I would play it. But to be honest with you, this much talk about Republican Party strategy is kind of making me feel dirty. So I need a shower. Wow. As Ron Burgundy might say, boy, that escalated quickly. Hopefully I don't have to go down that political rabbit hole too much more this year. After all, I would hate to really disenfranchise all two of you who are listening to this podcast right now. I think it is time to wrap this episode up. Once again, I want to thank you guys, as I always do, for coming in and spending some time with me on this podcast this week. I know that you have a lot of listening options, so I am honored that you decided to take roughly a half hour today to listen to me. I would also like to remind you that this podcast is available on Spotify Podcasts, Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, YouTube Podcasts, as well as the iHeartRadio app. Just search for us by the title, Rebuilding Rob the Podcast. Also, in addition to checking me out on my blog, which I am updating almost daily, rebuildingrob.com, I am also available on social media on Facebook, X, Instagram, Threads, and Mastodon. Just search for me, Rebuilding Rob. No spaces, no underscores. So, until our next episode next week, with our topic to be decided, I do want to say thank you for stopping in again, and I will see you here again in about 23 and a half hours.